0: Welcome to Season 7 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. On this season, our guest host is Ryan Alba from Arizona. Join us as he interviews millennial clergy who are doing interesting things in ministry. Longtime listeners may also appreciate him bringing back a game we used to play called How Millennial Are You? And while he clearly enjoys his time having some fun addressing millennial stereotypes, the guests he interviews and the stories they tell are worth listening to. So without further ado, here is Season 7 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and culture. I am your guest host, Ryan Albaugh. Today, we are joined by my very good friend, um, brother, I don't know what other adjective we have, uh, Roland Tedder. Roland, how about you go and introduce yourself a little bit?
2: Hey, you forgot fellow rugby fan. Yes, uh, yes. The most important aspect. I was,
1: I originally was going to go to Brother from another mother but i don't Mm -hmm. know i felt i felt um old that might be the uh,
2: opposite end of the millennial spectrum so yeah
1: yeah (laughs) um yes we are friends that um bonded over rugby um way back when um when we were both in seminary Mm -hmm. almost a decade ago It's, it's been a minute
2: Yep, it's hard to believe. It is. It is a decade ago, longer than a decade ago is when we started watching. So, yeah, but yeah, good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Roland, as he mentioned, and uh, I am a pastor in Las Vegas, Nevada.
1: Nice, and you're new there, so let so maybe um, tell us a little bit about kind of your ministry story, like where you're from, and kind of um yeah how you how you got to las vegas
2: how long do you have ryan uh maybe
1: like okay maybe give us the last five years
2: (laughs) last five years okay well uh yeah my wife ashley and two kiddos enlo who is almost four later this month and theo who just turned one we came from overland park kansas where I had taken a brief segue uh, to the Wesleyan Church as a pastor there. Um, and before that, I was at Kansas City First Church of the Nazarene as a youth pastor. And I also served as the Kansas City District um, youth pastor as well. So, yeah, came out here to interview in Las Vegas a year ago. And uh, then we moved out here in November. So, shaking and baking in the desert that is. Yes.
1: These episodes will, will air at the end of the year, but right now it is July. It is yes hotter than heck, as we Nazarenes say. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um and so yeah, so it's it's um you're in Vegas, I'm in Phoenix. Let's just say I haven't gone outside today on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, cool. Uh, yeah, we're gonna get more into to to Roland's story part of the reason why we, we bonded over rugby and um, yeah. So um, next question is, do you, are you millennial? How old are you? Do you consider yourself millennial?
2: I do consider myself a millennial. I'm 34.
1: Okay. So you would be not quite as, I consider myself to be a geriatric millennial. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not quite as old, but you're more of kind of in the sweet spot
2: yep yep still still uh proud to be a millennial
1: but yep awesome all right well i know you say that you think you're a millennial but we're going to play our little game um how millennial are you and we're going to see okay. if you meet up to some of the stereotypes um okay. first question i mean the reminder this is a this is a uh, audio medium we're on we're on we can see each other right now but not everybody can see you do you sport a man bun no i just thought that was hilarious i
2: don't know why no man bun is currently on my head and part of that is because i don't have much hair left up
0: there so
1: yep oh i just honestly i just mostly just pictured you with wearing a man bun and it made me laugh so that's (laughs) why i put it in there uh (laughs) All right. So no, no man button. So, okay. Not, not doing so good. Um, Have you ever maintained a physical checkbook outside of online banking? Yeah, buddy. Nice.
2: I sure have Take me back to starting college in 2005. Got that checkbook going.
1: And you, and you, you kept it, you like wrote in your checks that you wrote and you did all the math and stuff like that.
2: Yes, I did.
1: Oh my goodness. Yep. You're a better man than I am.
2: Can't get much more millennial than that. <laughs>
1: um, I ran out of checks a couple months ago, and I don't know if I'm going to get new ones. <laughs> so, okay. check um, your
2: millennial card, Ryan.
1: I know, I know. Um, okay, uh, so I'm. I'm. A, that's two strikes against you, I think, because I think the the stereotype is that millennials never have had to have a physical checkbook. Mm. Um. Now, this one I know is kind of a, a ringer for you. Uh, how much time do you spend in your local coffee shop?
2: I do enjoy coffee, but I'm also on a, past, a minister's budget, so that makes it difficult. But um, let's just say back in seminary, I spent a decent amount in the local coffee shop. So maybe elite, maybe like five hours a week, at least. Um, But these days, yeah, on that, on that ministry budget, probably down to, uh, I don't even want to talk about that. But I do, I do still enjoy coffee and I still enjoy chasing coffee shops. So
1: I have to say, my, my mental image of you is in a coffee shop. (laughs) We've, we've, we've met for coffee many times.
2: Yes, we have. So So I think think that should count is asking like where you and I have hung out. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I just picture you in in coffee shops at all times. Thank you, Ryan. Wearing wearing a ascot. I don't know why. Um, All right. Um, How many times in the last 24 hours have you used your phone as a phone? Not make, to make calls, not to text or email, look at social media. Oh man,
2: <laughs> maybe like 1%. <laughs> so, yep.
0: yeah,
1: I, I, I avoid the phone function as much as possible. <laughs> that's I,
2: the, that's the best thing about smartphones is that you can avoid those phone I just, can send a voicemail,
0: right?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't know why I, I just don't like talking on the phone. Maybe yeah. that is the millennial in me. Yep. I don't know. Yep. All right. So you're 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 doing pretty good. You don't talk on the phone. Um, you like hanging out in coffee shops.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, back to the coffee shop thing. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I am so millennial that for a fundraiser in seminary for a oh, yes. program that sent us around the world, I partnered with a coffee roaster. Um to sell beans.
1: I remember so, those.
2: I mean, how millennial.
1: You <laughs> Did you ever work? Were you ever a barista?
2: I was a barista, yep.
1: Oh yeah. Where, there you where go. were you barista at?
2: I don't want to talk about that, but
1: <laughs>
2: Starbucks. The bucks. Yes, but amazing benefits. So I think that's a millennial thing. Chasing the benefits, right? Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
1: Which which Starbucks? Was I Again, around for this? I don't remember.
2: This one was in the Marriott Hotel off of 435 and Metcalf. Oh, uh, okay. Yep.
1: Yeah. Kind of far away from where I lived. Yes. All right. Um, how many um participation trophies did you have to get while growing up?
2: Participation and trophies. And do you
1: still own any of them?
2: Hmm. Now, are we talking about when they just give you a trophy for being there or when you actually... Yeah,
1: like you showed up.
2: Oh, man. Those type, I have since parted with all of them. So, <laughs> but I but I do have, like, I did have, like, some quizzing trophies. I think I might still have, like, a Church Caravans Pinewood Derby second place <laughs> trophy. Nice. But, that was, but that wasn't, like, a participation trophy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yep. I mean that's second place. That's not everybody gets that. Yep. All right. Um, how often do you order avocados on your toasts?
2: A decently regular basis. And within the last two weeks I made it at home. Does that count?
1: That I think that's extra millennial credit right there. Thank you. That's a lot. Um apparently. I used to think avocado toast was literally just that they just spread avocado mm-hmm. but i have recently been awoken to the idea that like people mix in a bunch of stuff they they do toppers on it it's like it's a like whole heart. thing yeah i didn't i didn't know that people did that i thought they just literally smeared avocado on toast and that was it yeah yeah but, yeah, what
2: they're what they're trying to do is make it appear like the fifteen dollars for your avocado toast is actually worth it. <laughs> but they say that they're like tossing stuff <laughs> in there. Well, who actually knows if they're? Yeah, it.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, do you now? Do you or your wife now, or have you ever sold essential oils?
2: <laughs> <laughs> sold. Ah. Um, huh. Never sold, but the house that we moved into here in Las Vegas had a Ooh. custom essential oil rack
1: Ooh, Wow.
2: And several essential oil what are those machi- diffusers oh, came wow. with that came with the came house,
1: with the house.
2: <laughs> I mean, that may or may not have been the deal breaker for us buying this house.) <laughs>
1: I was going to say, like, do those, do those things get used still, or are they?
2: We use them. Yep. Oh,
1: man. Nice. Yep. Dude, you were, you're racking up the millennial points. Well, uh, thank you. All right. <laughs> uh, Over under five and a half pumpkin spice lattes last fall? <laughs>
2: uh, oh. It was probably right around five and a half.
1: nice you like you you go for the you go for that psl life huh
2: no the psl life if there was a cologne flavor which there might be a cologne scent (laughs) psl i would buy it
1: (laughs) nice all right that's i mean i i I respect the honesty really Um, thank you yeah um all right last question okay what percentage of photos on your phone are selfies?
2: This is where I'm not going to be super millennial. Um, not many. Maybe four percent. Yeah. If, if even less. So
1: Mine's probably less. I've probably taken more selfies in the last couple of months mm. than ever, because my daughter has learned the phrase, "Let's take a selfie."
0: Ooh, there you go.
1: <laughs> so now, whenever I take a picture of her, she's like, All right, dad, let's take a selfie together. <laughs> so that's awesome. So Pretty. I i can't say no. She's five and she's adorable. And yep. um, yeah.
2: And it's uh, making you more millennial. Every yeah. Time. Yeah.
1: So. I guess so. Yep. Well, um, oh, I'd there. say <laughs> you are squarely in the millennial category. Thank in, you. In the age you meet a lot of the stereotypes which uh, part of the point of the game is there to to point out that we're not stere- we're not we're more than just stereotypes but you meet a lot of mm. them so <laughs> congratulations i guess is is his order. Um, thank you Ryan
2: that and, uh, you have no you have no idea how much those words mean to me
1: <laughs> mm. i'm glad. i mean we are on the millennial pastor podcast after all you are a pastor you are a millennial you i, I think you qualify so, um, now we're going to kind of ask some questions about kind of who you are and where you come from and kind of cool. where you, where you think the, the future of the church is and how we can, um, be better as the church in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. but one of the things that I want to talk, I want to begin with that I can we kind of hit it at at the very beginning is that, um, you had a bit of an unconventional childhood. Um, mm-hmm. can you describe that?
2: Yes. Yeah. Answering the question of where home is, is difficult for me Um, because I was born in Johannesburg, South Africa um, to ministry parents. My parents have been in some type of ministry my whole life. Um, At the time when I was born, they were on staff at a church in Johannesburg. And uh, then when I was 10 months old, we moved to Omaha, Nebraska. So um, for my childhood, I always called Omaha home since I didn't remember living in South Africa, um, Mm -hmm. had the chance to go back and visit there twice as a kid. And then when we were 12 years old, my family, my parents, um, my parents shocked my sister and I and said that God was calling them back to South Africa. So right there after like three weeks of seventh grade and middle school, um, we moved back to South Africa and, uh, They were pastoring a church there uh, in just outside of Durban, South Africa. We were there for two years, and then um, we moved to the country of Malawi, and uh, they were missionaries in Malawi. I went to a boarding school up in the country of Kenya at the time, and uh, then I made my way up to the great country of Idaho to go to the finest Nazarene institution, Northwest Nazarene university and uh traversed down to kansas city where i met the lovely podcast host um in 2009 i came down to kansas city for seminary so nice. yeah
1: i love that you referred to idaho as a country i don't know i do if it's if that's a compliment or or not
2: <laughs> I, couple- I, I
1: mean i hear it's beautiful i've never been
2: Idaho and Texas, I refer to as countries. So,
1: oh yeah, I mean Texas, I understand, but
2: take that for what you want it to mean.
1: (laughs) All right. So, having grown up, I mean, I mean, talk about you know kind of a system shock, especially at that age, um, going from Omaha Mm -hmm. to um to South Africa to then going to boarding school, which is a whole nother experience. Yeah. Um, what what was that like?
2: Yeah. Um I think I think yeah both of those were two big shockers moving back to South Africa and then boarding school. Um going back in seventh grade, especially just at that time of life when you're, you know, really starting to grow and um just develop and you know you're you're one of those crazy junior hires, um, just trying to figure out what life is all about. I think that that juncture in particular was just a, it was a difficult time um, to move, Uh, you know, saying goodbye to all my friends and family and and church family back in the States to go to South Africa was a, was a kicker. Um, My dad's side of the family is all from South Africa. So I think on, on his side, I'm a fifth generation South African. So we did have family, Moving back to South Africa, um, but mm-hmm. yeah, friend, friend system and and school friends, uh, so both church and and school friends, um, just had to relearn all of that and uh, just deal with culture shock. I mean, the South African yeah. culture is a lot different to the U.S. culture, um, mm-hmm. so you know, coming to terms with that as a as a seventh grader, it was a difficult journey, but at the same time. Um, it was, it was an exciting time and, uh, learned a lot. And, you know, one of the, the awesome parts about South Africa is just the diversity that's present in that country. So I went from, um, a, you know, a part of Omaha, Nebraska, that was fairly one ethnicity and one culture to, to go to, um, Durban South Africa, where suddenly I was surrounded by, various cultures, various ethnicities. Um, That was one of the the best parts about moving back. Um, Yeah. So instead of taking, you know, Spanish in the U.S. school system, I was now taking Zulu and Afrikaans. Um, But yeah, adjusting to the South African school system was really an interesting experience for me. I remember just kind of two stories from that experience. One was The first day of Afrikaans class, I sat there with my hand raised the entire class trying to tell my teacher that I didn't know a single word of Afrikaans. And she never called on me. And at the end of class, I went up to Mrs. Stefano and I said, hey, Mrs. Stefano, I just wanted you to know I just got here to South Africa. I've never taken Afrikaans before. And she said, well, why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, I had my hand raised the whole class. Um, So I learned just kind of in that moment You just got to kind of speak up for yourself in the South African setting. Um, And then at the same time, I also learned, though, that you can't have conversations that you're used to having with your teachers in the United States in the classroom setting. You can't have those in South Africa. One time my teacher asked me why I did something and I responded to him in a way that I would have done back yeah. here in the States. And then he kicked me out of the classroom and I had to stand outside, um, for the rest of the class, the class period. Oh. On top of that, I had to wear like really short shorts as part of my school uniform. And, uh, that was just embarrassing for a seventh grader, in front <laughs> of all the cute girls that I was trying to impress. Um, and we also had to wear speedos for our swimming suit during PE when we had to have swim class. So another embarrassing, embarrassing moment there. Um, And then, yeah, just just that adjustment of, uh, of going up to Malawi um, when I was in ninth grade, when my parents became missionaries um, after being in pastoral ministry for those first uh, 14 years of my life, that then became, just a, a whole nother adjustment for me. And uh, in some sense, it was kind of like going to college when you're in ninth grade, um, because I had to adjust to being away from home and, uh, you know, living away from family and uh, just dealing with um, the shock of, of that big difference. And the school that I went to then was going back into the American school system. So I'd spent, you know, two years in the South African school system. And then now I was back in the American school system and I was a two and a half hour flight away from my parents. So, uh, I basically, we could only go home. We went home every three months for a month and then we'd go back for another three months and just kind of repeat the process. So if you had a bad day, you couldn't go home and
0: tell your parents about it. So that was, that was difficult.
1: Sorry, my daughter wants a snack. You're good. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think most of us our our main experience with, um, with um boarding school is, is harry potter mm-hmm. so, um, so are you saying it wasn't like that
2: mm. for the most part it probably wasn't like harry potter yeah all right um but well, at,
1: the at this same point time,
2: but those uh at the same time those two experiences just broadened my perspective on the kingdom of god and uh mm. what it means to um truly welcome all people into your your church community um when we went back to south africa in 1999 that was just kind of five years after democratic elections in south africa yeah and um so at a time when the country was still grappling with what it means to be a democratic society and uh and a country that um welcomes all of the different ethnicities in its uh, in its country and welcomes all of the different languages and cultures and tribes and everything like that in its in its country the church really had to um show up and uh show that they really wanted to practice the love um that Jesus calls us to and so just seeing how my parents did that in the country of South Africa that soon after you know, official segregation had ended was a beautiful thing um, for me to witness. And, uh, and then just having the opportunity to see God at work in the country of Malawi and the country of Kenya as well, living in both of those, those places during my high school years, um, that really broadened my perspective on how God's alive and well and, and working in the world.
1: Um, yeah, actually, that's, um, that was going to be a, my next question was, um, how how does your experience, you know, living abroad, uh, growing up in, you know, multiple cultures and um, all that, how does that, I think you talked about a little bit, but how does that affect your ministry today, do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's probably changed everything for me without really understanding that since that was my journey, um, but it gave me yeah. the opportunity just to have an expanded worldview and perspective. Um, I mean, even if my family had never gone back to South Africa, just uh, the opportunity to to be raised by my parents um, who were culturally um, aware and culturally sensitive people already um, would have have made a big impact on me. But definitely having the chance to go and experience that firsthand, um, just that level of diversity, has really impacted my ministry and just, I think it's allowed me one of the biggest things that I would say is it's given me a heart for the outsider, um, and for the people on the fringe, um, and just a heart, a heart for, um, let's see the disenfranchised and, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? But yeah, all of that. It's opened kind up.
1: The marginalized. The yeah, the marginalized. marginalized. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. It's given me a, a heart for that and a passion for that. And mm-hmm. uh, just a heart to see. Um, there was a book I read in seminary called The Mini Colored Kingdom. Um, and mm-hmm. that phrase just kind of always sticks with me. It's given me a heart for the many colored kingdom and trying to, yeah. um, trying to minister to people from all different backgrounds and ethnicities and um, still still learning what it means to give space to those, those differences in the, in the kingdom. Um, but yeah, it's opened up my eyes quite a bit.
1: Definitely, I mean, um, for people listening, we have this connection of South Africa. I, I went there on a brief study abroad trip Um, After college, um, I now work for an organization that does ministry in South Africa. Um, Roland and I text about the, about South African rugby Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Um, But I mean, I, obviously I, I don't have nearly the experience, but I think even the experience I do have with that country, which has had so many issues throughout the years um, and in some ways it's still dealing with that Mm -hmm. um yeah it makes you appreciate for me my experience it it makes you appreciate the fact that there is beauty and diversity there is the things that make us different or the things that make us unique and Mm -hmm. created in the eyes of god and Mm -hmm. and yeah i i love that i love that perspective that you have and um in fact actually um uh, this is kind of putting you on the spot but uh, i know you in our district um newsletter a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. you had you related a story about somebody who had come to your church and visited would you mind telling that
0: yeah
2: sure yeah so it's been exciting since uh since palm sunday so at the time of recording this podcast today that's what like three three months ago or so um We had um, a Congolese guy, I guess, the Sunday before Palm Sunday, who had called the church office, and uh, it was right around Sunday school time, and he was asking what time the service started, and I could tell just by talking to him that he sounded like he was from somewhere um, Uh in Sub-Saharan Africa, and so I said, hey, where are you from? And uh, he told me Congo, um, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and because of my time in Kenya, I could speak a little bit of Swahili and um, in Congo, one of their main languages is Swahili as well. So we exchanged just some Swahili greetings. Nice. And uh, they, he and his wife and their seven kids have started um, oh coming crazy. to our, our church. And then yeah. his brother and uh, his wife and their soon to be five kids have started coming to our church as well. Um, and they're immigrants to the U.S. and just have a remarkable story. Of how they just kind of fled um, the unrest in the DRC and eventually made it to the United States, um, but yeah, it's wow. been it's been awesome to have them here. And in fact, I'm coming to you from my office today. And just yesterday, we had a membership class, and uh, both of those both of those families from Congo um, nice. were in it. And in that newsletter that Ryan's talking about, I also shared that there's a gentleman from Cuba. Um, who's been coming to our church as well. He, he fled just, again, kind of the unrest that, that is Cuba right now, just the difficult living situation to come and seek a better life in Las Vegas. And he had gone from Cuba to Nicaragua and then journeyed up through Central America, um, crossed at the southern border and, and made his way up here to las vegas and uh he just has a remarkable story of his his journey of making it to the u.s and he was in our membership class yesterday too um awesome so it's just kind of cool how god's given me the opportunity to interact with those different cultures um and more that are already part of our church and i'm grateful for that kind of unity and diversity that's present so
1: yeah that's so cool i mean How's your French? Do you speak as a French too, or no?
2: French, not <laughs> so much. Yeah, French, Just not spongy. so much. Yep. Uh,
1: I went to DRC as on a mission trip in, in college. Nice. Uh, and uh, beautiful country, beautiful people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of tension and yep. heartache. And yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff there still. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter is trying to wave at you, but she doesn't know where the camera is. <laughs>
2: hey paisley good to see you again it was nice to meet you a couple of weeks ago <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um one other one other question i i i have for you because i feel like you you're in a pretty unique um situation in that um ministry is kind of um just a second baby uh ministry is kind of your guys it's, uh it's kind of the family business mm-hmm. um uh your sister Libby is a pastor and your parents are both pastors and, mm-hmm. um, how, how is that? Yeah. What's that like? What is it like to, to have that kind of support? And at what point did you were like, all right, this is, this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do as mm-hmm. well. Um, or was it something you fought or I don't know what, 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 how was your trip to ministry knowing that you were kind of the, Kind of just doing what everybody else is doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good uh good question. It's it's been just kind of a fascinating journey. Um in regards to that, um we have at least like at least back to my great-great-grandma Taylor, um, who was a pastor down in Clovis, New Mexico, um, in the Church of the Nazarene, we just have a lot of Nazarene roots and ministry roots so great, great grandma, great grandma, grandma, grandpa, my parents. Um, so yeah, ministry has just definitely been,
1: I didn't know when that back and that, that far back. So that's even more impressive.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, ministry has just been part of, of who we are. And, you know, I think that's kind of multifaceted, obviously like your parents, your parents pass on Um, just the family culture to you for sure. Um, But obviously my parents passed on the ministry culture to us as well. And uh, I had a conversation a couple months ago um, with someone who said that they learned in a world religions class from um, a rabbi in the Jewish faith. Um, They had asked this rabbi, like, you know, when did you become, um, when did you decide that you were going to be Jewish, and the rabbi just said, "Well, it's it's just always been part of me." Um, so there is kind of that that level in my family where following Jesus has just kind of always been part of who I am. I can't remember a time, um, you know, when I when I wasn't part of the community of faith. But at the same time, as a kid, um, I still remember the moment when I when I just kind of had that realization that that was what I did want to pursue that um, being being in a relationship with Jesus and following um, his way, his lifestyle, his, his way of life in the world was something that I wanted to pursue. And again, being in a ministry family, my dad was leading us in communion, um, leading our church in Omaha in communion one day. And my mom and I were sitting, of course, in the first or second pew. And uh, she just was telling me, "Hey, this is this is the significance of of what we're doing here as we participate in the Lord's the Lord's Supper," um, and uh, yeah, just in that moment, I realized, "Hey, if Jesus if Jesus would would uh, come and offer us salvation through um, that sacrifice, and uh, if you would come and model that way of love, then." I want to be part of that as, as well as a four-year-old can understand. So um, then since that time, you know, just, just understanding the relationship um, that, that God woos us into um, and continues to woo us into that grace has just kind of always been inviting me, um, inviting me back to live into that story. Mm -hmm. So.
1: That's awesome. (sighs) is it kind of cool that you can call up your parents or your sister and kind of ask for advice sometimes or
2: it is, cool. yeah, <laughs> it is. Cool. Yeah. Yep. With the, with the time difference in South Africa, it makes it a little bit difficult between yeah. Las Vegas and, and Johannesburg where my parents are, are living yeah. right now. Um, but it, yeah, my parents just even over the last, I don't know, over the last five years, um, my wife and I have been able to, just, to have some really deep conversations with them, ministry conversations, and my sister too,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: just to call and get feedback and um, toss some ideas off of. So, yep.
1: That's awesome. Yep. Um, I've never met your mom and dad. Uh, we're Facebook friends. Ah, <laughs> so, they hopefully, seem like nice people.
2: Hopefully, sometime it can happen in person. Yeah. This, uh, side of the ocean or the other
1: side yeah all right i think we're kind of uh getting to the end and kind of what i I like i've been trying to kind of end with is just um kind of getting your opinion on um you know the the millennials are the least church uh generation that we have uh, at least records for and um gen z isn't quite they're gonna surpass us by all indications. I just heard a, on a podcast the other day that um, people who believe in God in U.S. I mean, take that for whatever that means um, has dropped by five percent in the last five years, which is the fastest it's ever wow. it's ever dropped. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the way that we? not, not just like keep people of, of the millennials or, or the Gen Z years engaged in the life of the church, but maybe reach new people. Um, what do you think is the, 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 key, the ways that we can begin to do that um, yeah. as a church body and as um, pastors who are listening to this, maybe give what, what in your experience, what do you think is a, is a good way that we can begin to do that or do it better?
2: Oh man, I feel like I could talk about that for hours, Pastor Ryan. Uh, I mean, I think authenticity and vulnerability are a huge piece of that. Um, You know, I think if young people don't see a church that's authentic and that's authentically living into relationship with Jesus and living out of their relationship with Jesus, then they're not going to be interested. And I think just um, you know, since you brought up a stat that I think is is an American stat um, mm-hmm. about those who um, who aren't aren't Christian, um, I think I think just the turmoil that we've gone through, and how much just the American church has kind of gotten in bed with the political system, mm-hmm. it's just been so destructive to the witness of the church, um, you know, the allegiance that we, that we give either to politics or, um, you know, the local news source or whatever it is, any allegiance outside of our relationship with Jesus, I think has has really wounded, um, the witness of the church. And, uh, so I think, you know, just from, from my days in youth ministry and, uh, what I learned from there, I think just, being in authentic relationships with the younger generation is really what it's going to take, you know, to use Mm -hmm. like the sticky faith, the sticky faith lingo um, of, you know, one young person needing, I think like five, five different adults investing in their life in different ways who are followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, in authentic ways, not in a desire to do like a, bait and switch with them not in a desire um you know having having really no means to the end other than just loving them authentically with the love of jesus uh, i think is is really important um and plus just like i said that's beautiful paisley got some frozen back there um i think uh i think that authenticity of our witness um is is massive So
3: yeah
1: that's great i I think that's um yeah i think i've i've said this before i don't know if it's been on one of these podcasts i forget um but you know young people they can they're like animals they can smell inauthentic inauthentic people you know like Mm -hmm. they they know when people are faking it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yeah yeah Um, that's probably like the worst thing you could do is just Yeah. Just not be, not be real, not be authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think
2: think to like piggyback off of that too. um, Like all generations, not just young people, but all generations are searching for meaningful relationship. Mm -hmm. They're searching for a deep relationship. That's true. And like we said, that's authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they can't find that in the church, Um, then they'll search for it wherever they can find it. Um, and, you know, I think that's just like, just like all the generations that have gone before, you know, Gen Z and beyond that, um, they, they're still searching for that authentic relationship with, with people, with something, with someone, And, uh, so we got to go and stand in the gap, like in a, in a society that just values rugged individualism. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Jesus is calling us to, to live into the value of the body of Christ and the value of being dependent on other people, um, and living in relationship with other people. Um, so yeah, those are some other things that I've just been reflecting on recently.
1: Yeah, that's great um and then i have one more kind of related question but um uh, what what about the church gives you hope um what do you think we need to to grow where do you think that the church i mean it could be denominated and this is kind of open up to your own interpretation whether that's your specific local church or the denomination you're in or Mm -hmm. you know what do you think what do you think we're doing right and where do you think we can um we can get better.
2: I think what we're doing right is uh, we still have the call to, to go and make disciples um, to go and call people to live in a relationship that can bring them hope and can bring them salvation and can bring them life and can bring them um, true meaning um, true self-worth Um, so yeah, we, we still have the opportunity to do that. And that is still occurring, um, in the church and, uh, you know, every time we, every time we go out and make a disciple and, um, bring them in and baptize them and welcome them into the community of faith, we're still, we're still doing the thing that Jesus called us to do. And, um, we're still living into the hope that we have. So Yeah. So I think that's still what we're doing. Right. And, uh, I think, I think just where we need to grow goes back to some of those things we were, we were touching on earlier. Um, just, uh, breaking down some of that division, um, in the body of Christ and focusing on the unity that we have in Jesus and, um, surrendering the idols and allegiances that we have. And, uh, instead focusing on, on Jesus and living in that relationship that we have with him. So,
1: yeah. Amen. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those things where we can get caught up with the, the numbers a lot of times. Um, and the truth is, is like, I think a lot of times we can feel like, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't baptized somebody. Mm-hmm. So, so long or we haven't had a new family come in so long and mm-hmm. we get defeated and the truth is is that um, the real question is are we being faithful are we doing that what god called us to do and mm-hmm. trusting that he knows what's going on and
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: we don't always see the harvest yeah. yeah sometimes sometimes we plant and we don't get to see the fruits of that labor um, mm-hmm. just trusting that the Holy spirit is, yeah. is working, you know?
2: Yeah. And I guess, I guess one, one other thing, um, that we're kind of struggling with too, is that, you know, so oftentimes we want to be gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want people to come who look like us and act like us and quote, unquote, have it all put together. Yeah. Um, And we want people who are safe and, um, all those things where instead we're just called to go and, um, welcome, welcome people with open arms. And, um, I think, I think just from, again, from the youth ministry days, that was something that I learned was just creating a safe place for people to come and encounter the love of God without, um, asking them to look a certain way or behave Mm -hmm. a certain way. um, But just welcoming them and uh, loving them and uh, offering them Jesus is, I think, is, I think, again, going back to your question, it's, it's one thing that we're doing right as a church, but it's one thing that we need to do better, um, better on as a church too. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the the tough thing about ministry and it's a job that's never finished <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, there's no there's not I don't think there's ever a point where we're like, all right, done all the ministry we can do here <laughs> um, time to pack up and head on out you know In mm-hmm. um, fact, that, that's actually one of the things that um, going back to your mom and dad that kind of is a uh, is, is pretty inspiring by uh, I saw that they had retired retired mm-hmm. quote-unquote retired mm-hmm. and uh i remember i texted you and you're like I, are there what, what's going on and you're like oh they're still doing the same thing and i'm like mm-hmm. like yeah like ministry just keeps going on you know like it's just a kind of a classification about how much of their retirement payment they can pull from <laughs> and stuff like that right but they're still doing they're just still doing the same thing which yep. is awesome yeah yeah mm-hmm. awesome well thank you so much for um For carving out some time. Uh I know you You are are. I know you are a very busy person and uh appreciate you having it as a guest. Sorry about the sporadic interruptions. Uh, That was my daughter.
2: Hey, that's okay. I got got two of my own, so I definitely understand. Thank you. Hey, thank you for modeling what it means to just raise your kids well and allow them to interrupt and give them space to be around. That's a beautiful thing, man.
1: I'm trying dude. <laughs> yeah, um, I've I've probably mentioned this before, but we have church in our home, and my kids are like the worst kids. <laughs> so I always tell people like they're like, oh what are like I don't want my kids to be like to be bad or anything like that I'm like honestly, they can't be worse than my kids. so <laughs> and every week we we talk about it' like, come on this week you're gonna listen, you're not gonna be no, every week they they're just doing their own thing <laughs> um but, it, about that, but. yeah i know i i i do think that there's something beautiful about it doesn't mean it doesn't frustrate me though <laughs> right. yeah. um, because i'm their dad and i want people to tell, tell me about how good my kids are but they're, they're not <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but thank you for being here um and thank you for joining us on the millennial pastor podcast I have been your guest host, Ryan Alba, and we can't wait to see you guys again next time.
0: Previous seasons, you have heard us promote our fellow millennial author. But on this season, we're promoting a different sort of millennial minister.
3: Have you ever prayed about becoming a military chaplain? It's undeniable that God has called each and every one of us to use the talents, the gifts, and the abilities he's given us for his kingdom work. From being the chaplain of a ship, to a Coast Guard unit, to even a Marine Corps battalion, if you are hearing this and wondering if this might be for you, I encourage you to pray about it. Yes, it's a call to all-around fitness, mind, body, and spirit, and yes, it's quite possibly the most challenging thing that you'll ever do. But it's also the most rewarding ministry I can think of. The most powerful force in the world, the United States Navy, needs chaplains. And as a recent initiative has been established that seeking to put a chaplain on every ship, there is quite possibly a need for you. Being able to serve both God and country has been one of the most incredible blessings of my life. Check out the Navy Career website on the specifics of chaplaincy requirements, and I would love to connect with you if it's something you might feel called to. Pray about it.
0: Thank you for supporting your local Millennial Pastor. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Ryan Alba. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.